0: Welcome, everyone, to our April episode of Silas Speaks, SILA's monthly podcast, which is your window into what is happening at SILA and the securities and insurance licensing industry. Silas Speaks is brought to you by Rhodes Online and SILA, and I'm Alistair Yu.
1: And I'm Diana Ivey, and we have a really great episode today. Joining us will be Jeff Brinkman, who is the CEO, President, and Owner of Supportive Insurance Services, or SIS for short. We speak with Jeff about his journey in the insurance industry and the evolution of compliance needs over the past 40 years. But before we get to our conversation with Jeff, here are some other things that are coming up on the SILA calendar. Alistair, can you fill us in?
0: Sure, Diana. In April, there was a SILA Minnesota chapter meeting on April 13th. We hope that all those in the Twin Cities area was able to make it. If not, I'm sure that notes and a recap can be found on the SILA site. Also in April, mark your calendars, the early bird registration for the SILA conference in Hollywood, Florida will open April 28th, so we're all excited about that and meeting you all in sunny Florida. Also, there's some great events coming up in May. On Tuesday, May 16th, the SILA Securities industry Subgroup Meeting will happen, and that is on May 16th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Also, on the 16th at 2.30 p.m. will be the Silas surplus line subgroup meeting. On Wednesday, the 17th, the Silas adjusted licensing subgroup meeting will happen at 2 p.m. On Thursday, May 18th, the SILA agency carrier subgroup meeting happens, and that's at 2 p.m. also. And finally, on Tuesday, May 23rd, SILA's Texas chapter meeting will occur. And that's at 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can find out more information about all of those meetings in May and how to sign up on the Silas site. Diana, what regulatory updates should our listeners be aware of?
1: Well, I want to highlight three today. Um, there's always, you know, so many updates every day. So I'll pick these three for today. Um, the first one is, really are just a little reminder from the state of Delaware. They moved their offices from one location to another, actually back in 2019. Um, But the Postal Service has been forwarding mail from the old address to the new one up until now. (laughs) But um, they are no longer forwarding email from the old address to the, the new address. Um, So the Delaware Department of Insurance just wants everybody to make sure they are utilizing the current address, which is listed in the bulletin itself. Um, And then they also list, um, there are seven possible ways of making payments to them, you know, listing the correct payee, and those are listed in the bulletin as well. So super important for folks to go ahead and take a look at the bulletin and get the detail on both the address and the payment uh, information. So that's Delaware. Um, North Dakota just passed, actually just on March 28th, uh, they passed a new uh, law that, it, they enacted a new law, uh, and it amends and adds to their circle lines statutes, um, particularly around diligent search um, and also some other sections. So super important for anybody doing surplus lines business in North Dakota to make sure you go ahead and read what the changes are. Okay, um, and that the um, actual new language is listed in the bulletin that's on silo.org. So super informative. Um, and then finally, I just want to mention State of Washington. They've made an important change to pre-licensing education. Um, where actually they will no longer be requiring pre-licensed education Um, and this is effective July 5th. There's some other things that are changing in terms of um, you know course approvals and things like that um, that are related to this change that the bulletin highlights so I I encourage our members to go ahead and look into the silo.org site to get the details on that. That is a very important change as well. Um, So those are the three I wanted to highlight. But before we get to our conversation with Jeff, I just want to remind our listeners to find out, again, all of this information that I mentioned and more on the SILA.org website. And also, we are posting snippets of this on the SILA LinkedIn page, so you can have a quick look there as well.
0: Absolutely. So if you aren't a follower now, uh, make sure to follow Sila on LinkedIn to get reminders about everything that's going on at Sila. And well, uh, without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Jeff. We'd like to thank Jeff Brinkman, CEO, President and Owner of Supportive Insurance Services onto the pod today. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Yeah, great. Jeff. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for being a guest. And right now, where are you? You're in Indianapolis. Is that where you live? I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. Wonderful. But the people who do the real work for
2: the company are in Vincennes, Indiana, That's which right. is That's- southwestern
0: Indiana. Absolutely. That's where the office is. And you got a beautiful yes. office there. Wonderful.
1: And you're right. In Silo's headquarters too. That's their state, Indiana. It is indeed. <laughs> How about that? And is that where you um, have you always been in Indiana? Is that where you grew up?
2: I grew up, born and bred. Wow. I grew up <laughs> in a small town, which is really a suburb of Indianapolis. So I always say, you know, I've spent my entire life here. Was wow. not my original plan, but <laughs> it served me well.
0: Yes. Absolutely. So, Jeff, you've been uh, a part of supportive for many, many years now. But prior to that, uh, how did you get into the insurance industry? I mean, everybody's always has, you know, such a wonderful path in. And once you kind of what we've learned and Diana can attest is once you get in, you can't get out. Right. It's Like, oh, <laughs> California. <you know? laughs> well,
1: once you get in, you don't ever want to leave. That, that leave? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, and I would say I never wanted to get into insurance, <laughs> at least when I was 22 years old. Um, I graduated from college with a degree in marketing and a minor in radio, TV, film. Um, I was a competitive speaker all through high school and college, which was my real passion. But I knew I had to be able to pay the bills and get a real job. So I was a business major with an emphasis in marketing. Um, I graduated in 1983. And many times when you listen to the news, you'll hear them say the worst. This is the worst job market since 1983. So it was sort of a benchmark for, you know, a difficult time to get jobs. And when I graduated, I really thought the world was going to be handed to me on a silver platter because I did everything I was supposed to do. In college. I was on the union board. I was on the speech team. I was active in all the things on campus. And my life came to a screechy halt at graduation. And so I had a couple of small jobs just to kind of pay the bills and keep my dad off my back until I found a real job. And my father kept saying, Oh, there's this company in Indianapolis. They're just hiring lots and lots of people and you should put in your application. And the company was called golden rule insurance company, growing by leaps and bounds. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Dad. I don't want to work in the insurance industry. (laughs) So finally, just to shut him up, I sent them and I sent them an application. And a week later I get a job interview. So I go in and, and to the job interview and, I had been through so many job interviews prior to that, especially in college, where I interviewed with like Ford Ford Motor Company, and they put you through, they flew you to different cities, and you interviewed with lots of different people. So I go into the interview, and the transformer on the building goes out, and the building's dark, and so it's, it's sleeting. We go leave the building and the woman I'm interviewing with for 20 minutes said, we're probably going to make you a job offer, but I can't commit right now on the spot. So I get in my car, I drive home and I'm like, I don't want to work for any company that interviews me for 20 minutes and makes me an offer. But they did. (laughs) And I came, I went to work there because I didn't have anything better to do. And I thought I will stay here for a year. And I was there for 14. (laughs) So... And my path to licensing, uh, was in my first year there, I was the director of sales service, which was licensing, contracting and commissions. And I kept that responsibility for my entire 14 years at Golden Rule.
1: Wow. So that's how
2: I got into the insurance industry. Uh, I then left to become a management consultant. Uh, I worked for a firm that specialized in process improvement and organization design with insurance companies and TPAs. Mm -hmm. And then I went to work for supportive insurance services. And that was 19 years ago.
1: I have a, I have to ask. So what did your dad say when you got the job at Golden?
2: Well, it was interesting because I moved up the ladder very quickly and he took complete credit. Uh, for that. I knew it. He, he, he always told people, you know, let people know that he was responsible for my success. And I, again, I, you know, in my, you know, college mind, the thought of insurance just never entered my mind. I just thought of that as something boring and I was never bored and I've never been bored in my, entire career that it wasn't something that I was you know I wanted to be in advertising or something that seemed more glamorous and sexy. Than
1: and that, insurance. That's how it is today even today you know it's very hard to convince you know folks just coming out of school that insurance is a offers a tremendous career opportunity for them and that it's so interesting because there's so many different areas that uh, you can go into uh, through the insurance industry. But for some reason to the 20 somethings, it just seems like the most unappealing job ever.
2: But <laughs> well, you know, what's a, a, another piece of it that that's, that's interesting is, you know, we had an insurance agent, Clarence, would. And what I remember about Clarence is for our birthdays, he always sent us a card with a <laughs> stick of gum in it. <laughs> that's as much as I really knew about insurance. But the university that I went to, uh, now offers, you know, like finance, accounting. They have an insurance specialty.
1: Uh-huh.
2: They haven't asked me to come back and speak yet, but, uh, they, they actually offer a specialty In insurance, which was I I thought very interesting because that wasn't something you you know that they had a specialty in when I was in school,
0: and I don't know of any school that did. No. Well, I'm sure once they hear this podcast, they're going to invite you into. Yeah,
1: I was thinking the same thing.
0: It's, it's a natural evolution. Well, that's right. Step, right? <laughs> yeah. They're probably listening to them every day yeah. podcast.
1: <laughs> well, if anything, doing this pod with us today is, is helping you relive your, your heart's desire, right? For Absolutely. Speaking and all of that. Absolutely.
2: So. <laughs> the interesting thing though, for me, quite frankly, was I did get stuck in operations in my early career. And part of what I evolved into at Golden Rule was I was responsible for all of the sales support operation, which was 350 office people, really a remote call center throughout the country. Uh, But I was never a salesperson. But my emphasis in marketing was sales. So it wasn't until I came to work at Supportive Insurance Services that I really used my degree in the full sense of what I was specializing in at school.
1: Tell us a little bit about supportive because they that firm has been around for quite some time and um how did it start out was it because licensing was this like pre um attempts to make uniformity is that was it born out of necessity or how did it begin?
2: Well interestingly enough uh Barb Donner who founded supportive insurance services in 2000 actually worked for me for 14 years at Golden Rule Insurance Company. Um, She ran licensing and commissions for me. Um, And I left to become a management consultant. And a couple of years later, she decided to leave. And one of the things that she had been doing at Golden Rule was continuing education certifications. So she would help us get our seminars certified. That sort of ended up under the umbrella of supportive insurance services or of um, the sales service area. So she decided after a couple of years that she was going to leave and do that. And she went to some trade shows and she had someone, some guy put his arm around her and say, honey, you know, there's a real need for someone to take care of licensing for agents and agencies. And if you'll do it, I'll be your first customer. And Barb decided she'd try to figure out how to do it. So she took the job and she did all the research and work to figure out how to do licensing. And for several years, it was just she and her uh, sister-in-law. And I was the third employee. And she kept telling me, Jeff, I know if I could get someone to focus on sales, I could blow the roof off this place. And she set out to do licensing for agents and agencies. Mm Uh, throughout the country and I was helping her just as a friend coming up with the name of the company and business plan and things like that but I really thought well this will be a great job for Barb to do out of her home but I never thought of it as a career for me and so when I finally did go to work with her the first year we had to hire six people not because I'm such a great person, but because there was such a need and there was no one to focus on the follow up and, and working with customers and, and doing the sales process because she was busy enough with just the business that came in the door without a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so I realized after about a year that this could be a real business and that the, there was a real need for it. Um, so that's kind of the journey to, How supportive insurance services got started again, it was being open to a suggestion that someone made and it became a business, not what was initially intended, that it metamorphosized into something very different.
1: A happy accident. And today we have
2: 32 employees. Wow. Mm -hmm. And our employees average, you know, 20 years of licensing and insurance experience. And our management team, about 30 years of licensing and insurance experience. So it's a really exciting and dynamic
0: group of people. Right. And I think that's the key is that, you know, if we look at the compliance realm, you know, compliance is hard and it's difficult. Right. And it really does take expertise, whether that's in-house expertise or going out to find a third party that possesses that expertise to ensure you know that you're following the rules and rules are different across every state and you know you've been in this business 20 30 x years now right and you've seen kind of the evolution of compliance right you know, right. Uh, you know on a lot of the podcasts we've talked to we've talked about like the the pink sheet is that what it's called the yellow sheet the pink sheet all the paper right pre standardization sure oh,
2: yeah. But you know, every time there was more standardization, we were concerned that that was an opportunity to cut us out of the mix, (laughs) but it, but it didn't seem to be that way. And I think what's interesting is sometimes I'll have someone call me and say, well, you know, I can do this myself. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten into the point, to the point in my career and in my sales approach that I say, you absolutely can.
0: And then I wait for
2: them to say something like, but, but, and I say, you know, we know the ins and outs of licensing, and we're going to get it done faster and more efficiently than you can on your own, but you absolutely can do it yourself, which is one of the reasons that from our perspective, and I think in the entire insurance industry, service is key. You know, providing your client outstanding service is so integral to being successful.
1: And that doesn't
0: matter what aspect of insurance you're in.
1: Very true. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. And that service, irrespective of, you know, it's we're we're all in the service industry, right? Irrespective of we're a service company, if we're in a large organization, we're all trying to, you know, work together as a group supporting, you know, various stakeholders, right? So I think that's just the key professional aspect
2: mm-hmm, of how
0: people can grow. Mm-hmm. I know that we were talking to somebody the other day. He's like, yeah, the first job you should get should be in a service industry, whether it's like a waiter or a waitress or, you know, working, at, you know, working as a cashier, whatever it is to learn to relate. Right?
2: Well, it's funny that you say that because early in my career, um, when we were looking for management trainees or I was looking for management trainees and entry-level management people, I loved to hire people in the retail industry because they worked lots of hours. Uh, it was a hard job and they worked directly with the customer face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is unbelievably good training for being for a service orientation. It's one thing to deal with people over the phone where you don't really see them, but to be able to deal with people face-to-face creates a great foundation.
0: Right. And I guess in today's age, it's not really face to Well, it is still face-to-face. It's just face-to-face over Zoom. or Zoom. Well, you know, <laughs> I, that's right? one of the
2: things that has changed. Um, you know, before COVID, I rarely did a Zoom call. I did conference calls, but I rarely did a Zoom call. And I have seen people really move to wanting a Zoom call. And I think part of that is that, you know, the actual human interaction. I mean, even though it's on a screen, you get to see people nod. You get to see, um, you know that you have their undivided attention. You know, I'm a huge multitasker. If I weren't on this call with you and we were just talking on the phone, I'd probably be doing something else at the same time, but it really requires you to be fully engaged. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I
0: agree. Absolutely.
1: I agree with you though. I, I prior to COVID, I, I would have said you'd never catch me dead on a video call <laughs> <laughs> ever, <laughs> but now it's an everyday thing. No big deal. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. you
2: in, uh, I don't know about you, but in my imagination, you, you tend to wonder what your clients look like and they never look like what I imagine them to. <laughs> LinkedIn helps because you can go to LinkedIn and if they're on LinkedIn, you can see them. But you know, people don't necessarily look the way they
1: sound. That's true.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So Jeff, I mean, a lot of questions must be asked of you, right? So I guess the first question is what are, what, what are some of the common questions that the, that the industry asks organizations like supportive, what are people having trouble with?
2: Well, it's interesting because I will find people, uh, our typical client needs to be licensed throughout the country or in a number of States, uh, tries to do it themselves, realizes it's not quite as easy as they thought. And they figure there must be someone out there who does this. So, That's where they go seeking someone. And they will oftentimes say, I'm so glad I could find someone who does this. Right. uh, And we'll take this off my hands. You know, one of the things we say is you do the selling and let you do what you do best and let us do what we do best so that you're not spending your
0: time as a salesperson, you know, doing administrative activities. Absolutely. I guess that's the first step is they've taken stock in terms of what they're Abilities and, and absolutely.
2: abilities. <laughs> absolutely. Or, you know, they've handed it off to someone in their organization, many times someone who has absolutely no experience and they stumble through it and, 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 you know, either don't do it well or, or need, need assistance. <laughs> Usually when someone calls you because they've had a problem, that's that's a really good sales opportunity. It's the person who has already figured it out and thinks, well, maybe it would be okay to outsource. Is that it's maybe a tougher sale.
1: Sure. What are you, what are you seeing as sort of um, com- maybe common misperceptions that industry might have with regard to licensing?
2: Well, it's very interesting because you know I've been I've really been doing licensing since 1984.
0: Yeah.
2: And back in the dark ages, there was this whole thing called agency licensing and some states had it and some states didn't and some companies required it and some companies didn't. And the company that I worked for, Golden Rule, was always taking insurance, co- insurance um, commissions on in terms of rate regulation and things like that, but we were a target for market conduct evaluations. So we had to be incredibly priggish about licensing. We had a hundred thousand agents and agencies throughout the country. So, you know, we, no one made their living selling golden rule, but it was an ancillary product, but we had to make sure that we were intact because the number one thing one of the easiest things to do in a market conduct exam is to audit licensing. Sure. Send us a list of everyone that sold a piece of business. Will they go out and look and see if they were li- if licensed and appointed correctly? Mm-hmm. And oops. You would come across lots of situations like that. Then we started dealing with agency licensing. And in order to pay commissions to an agency, the agency had to be licensed. And did you contract the individual or did you contact the industry, the agency? And that was many, many, many years ago. So to get to your original question, I still have people ask me, do I need to be licensed in Ohio if I'm talking to someone on the phone in Florida? you know, from Florida? Uh, does my agency only need to be licensed in my resident state or does it need to be licensed throughout the country? If I'm, you know, selling on the internet, do I need to be licensed in every state? Um, and, and they're very surprised by my answers, which is yes, yes, and yes. Um, and, and, and they'll want to argue with me about it. And, you know, I send them the producer model licensing act, and suggest they read it. You know, I tell them, I, I, I reiterate what it says, but then I'll send it to them and suggest they read it. Because, you know, these questions are all answered. Um, but I get them over and over and over again. Um, on a regular basis. And when I say regular, multiple times a month, I'll have someone call me and say, my this insurance company is telling me I have to have my agency licensed in every state I do business in. I've been in the business for 30 years and I've never had to do that really? I said, well, I've been in the business longer than that, and there's always been agency licensing, <laughs> but we still have people who come and say they've never heard of it, never never knew it existed. They did it in their resident state, but as they branched out, they didn't realize that, that they needed to do that in other states as well.
1: Yeah, they don't understand that. It's not like a driver's license. You can't get it in one state and drive anywhere. Exactly. <laughs>
2: exactly and they and then it's it, it it isn't a difficult concept you know i'll say it's like an insurance like a real estate agent if they want to do business in another state they need to hold a license and then they'll start to get it yeah. but i still have people who argue with me that they don't need to get their agency license so and if oh, they're marketing in that name they need to have it licensed
1: yeah. Are gonna find out the hard way that you were
0: right? Exactly. <laughs> well, it's it's like you said, Jeff. I mean, the easiest thing to do for market conduct, right, is just show me documentation. Just absolutely. show me the license and the appointment. That's yeah, it's right absolutely.
2: There, right? And you know, interestingly, when we did that at at Golden Rule, we were constantly suing a different. Department of Insurance, and one of the ways for them to you know deal with us was through a market conduct and we just couldn't make mistakes with licensing because it was very easy. I'm not going to say we never made mistakes because you know there's an error rate in anything but that our that our licensing was
0: very locked up and mm-hmm. and 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 well done mm-hmm. absolutely so almost forty years in the insurance space, I'm sure you've seen a lot of change right. <laughs> How has the industry changed, in your opinion?
2: Well, I would say there's several major things, uh, at least from my perspective and what I see. You know, there aren't a lot of career agents anymore. You know, people work more through a brokerage operation where people represent multiple companies. Um, I've seen insurance companies move their sales operation in-house as -hmm. opposed to being a field Operation. Um, and I I've seen the role of the agent probably more than anything change. Uh and the and the companies getting much more involved in the sales process. If that makes sense.
0: It, it does. Tell me more in terms of the letter, the the role of the producer and how that the agent has changed. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, I think the companies have taken on some of that, some of that role. Um, you know, they've moved the sales process in-house. Mm-hmm. as opposed to it being a field orientation. Right. Um, I think that, you know, agents have, in order to grow their businesses, have gone to multi-state right. licensing. You know, I think many years ago, the only reason to be licensed in another state was because my client moved to Florida and they, you know, they retired to Florida and they still want me to do their, their, their homeowner's insurance and their auto insurance. So, I'll get licensed in Florida
0: no, but
2: it, with the advent of marketing via the internet and the ability to make a sale in any state, mm-hmm. people have had to look at, you know, global U S licensing.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I even
2: Puerto that... Rico and the U S Virgin islands and Guam,
0: mm-hmm. I
2: mean, because people, you know, the ability to find clients has been broadened because of the internet. And I think those, re- I, the other thing that I think has changed with agents, relationship is incredibly important. Thank Service you. is incredibly important. But with, you know, younger people today who are very comfortable just dealing with the internet, the human interaction, the face to face interaction, I guess I should say, is not as important. They're very comfortable buying electronically. So, you know, people buy directly from the insurance company as opposed to through an agent.
0: Sure. I still believe the agent
2: is integral to the process uh, because people don't understand what they're buying and, and the and the agent is there to help people make the right choices and to be truly and fully insured. So I think the agent's role is as important as it ever was. I just think the consumer is looking for ways to save money and to work directly with with a company, or at least appear to work directly with the company and cut out the middle person.
0: Right. People aren't getting a stick of gum in the mail anymore. Right. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know whatever happened to Clarence, but he really, I mean, it really,
1: and
2: Clarence was the brother-in-law of a teacher that my dad taught with. And that's how he became his insurance agent. And I still think the relationships are really important. You know, even in our business, so much of what I do comes from referrals. You know, in the early days, there were no referrals because you didn't have that many customers. But over time, referrals become a huge part of your business. And that's true with the agents
1: absolutely, absolutely. relationships are very right. very important human relationships
2: absolutely so it's not i'm not negating those by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination i'm just speaking to alister's question is yeah, oh, what absolutely. changes have i seen <laughs> and those are the changes that i've seen
1: do you do you also think that um i guess new or emerging risks uh impact the business the licensing business so for example we've seen mother nature doing very bad things lately with the flooding and the tornadoes and the wildfires and so forth so Mm -hmm. it seems there's a need for adjusters right to to you know do the appraisals are you seeing an increase or a a shift in the volume of those types and there are various types of adjusters too so and there's a lot of confusion around them as well so are you seeing um an uptick in people asking questions about whether they need such license or what type they need or or just an increase in requests for those licenses in general.
2: We do. I mean, we didn't do adjuster licensing for a number of years as Supportive Insurance Services and people kept calling and calling and asking for it. And, and it just so happened, and this was serendipity, we had hired someone who decided to move home after many years of being away. Actually, she and her husband were retiring And she had moved back and saw an ad for Supportive Insurance Services for licensing and came to work for us. And Barb was saying one day, well, I wish we could figure out a way to do adjuster licensing. And this woman, her name is Beverly Lancaster. She overheard Barb say that. She said, Barb, that's what I did at the insurance company I worked for. And that's really how we got into adjuster licensing. And and we started doing adjuster licensing because of the calls we got, not because we went out looking for another line of business, but because that was, you know, we got so many calls about it. Mm -hmm. And there was so much mystery about it. Mm -hmm. And now it's 40% of our business is is adjuster licensing. Mm -hmm. But you know, you have, you know, independent adjusters, you have staff adjusters, you have public adjusters, and all with different different needs yes. um, and so we deal with that a lot mm-hmm. and the probably the biggest uh, issue that I deal with Diana is um, whether or not the adjuster firm needs to be licensed
1: yes, that's another big um, question.
2: And, and a lot wow. of times the firm finds out it needs to be licensed because they get a fine because mm-hmm. they were doing business in in x state and didn't have you know an adjuster firm license and so oops now I need to go and 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 make that happen and then others know about it and just don't know how to go about it so Mm -hmm. we do that on their
1: behalf did you see an uptick in the whole pet insurance thing I know that was like a big deal we have a
2: number (laughs) of pet insurance clients (laughs) who have very healthy businesses so yes um you know, I see a lot of um one of the things I'm seeing in the insure tech world is a lot of people are getting licensed because they want to be compensated for their leads. And so, you know, they're partnering with an insurance company or a brokerage operation. And in order to be compensated, they need to get licensed throughout the country. So we're actually holding someone's hand through getting the designated responsible producer license mm-hmm. and then getting the business entity license so they can receive compensation from whomever they're working with. Um, we have people, you know, from overseas who want to do business in this market. And that's a real tough educational yeah. process because when someone's doing business in X country, that's smaller than the size of Indiana or definitely smaller than the size of California, they don't understand the magnitude of licensing and that they need to have someone here Mm -hmm. and they need to have a business space here because they believe that they can just start license you know selling stuff over the internet that's not how it works and so you know i'm i'm walking him through an entire pro you know you need a designated responsible license producer you need people here you know no you can't do, you can't have a license for we can't get your staff in India licensed here, that it it doesn't work that unless they're residents of the United States. So those are things that I didn't deal with years before. Mm -hmm. And I've dealt with a lot in the last number of years is, you know, we want, we we see the United States as an opportunity and we'd like to work there. Well, how do we go about doing that? And it's not as easy as it might be in their home countries.
1: Yeah, absolutely
0: now the world is getting flatter, right? And there are just so many more avenues to, you know, communicate and distribute, you know? Things. It is.
2: <laughs> and it, you know, it's not uncommon to, for me to be on an international call. And, you know, because people want to grow their businesses. And as we become more global, that's an important thing. I think, uh, Diana, back to your original question, you know, I've seen a lot of, a lot more, um, unique and creative uh, surplus needs for surplus lines yes. licenses
1: yes. Mm-hmm.
2: and so those are things that you know I've seen an uptick in is licensing a lot more people for surplus lines mm-hmm. because they're selling non-admitted products for things like drone insurance or jewelry insurance I remember one of um, One of my original surplus lines clients, and this is a number of years, he was a jewelry appraiser. And he thought, well, I should work on insuring these people's, you know, jewels. And, uh, you know, Elizabeth Taylor was one of his clients. (laughs) So as an appraiser. And so he decided to get into the, the jewelry, uh, you know, insurance market. Well, when you're dealing with a multi-million dollar jewel, You know, that's generally a surplus lines sale.
1: Absolutely. Does supportive also provide surplus lines? filing support or or when we do the
2: licensing but we don't do surplus lines tax filings
1: so hopefully all those folks who are getting their surplus lines licenses are uh, making sure they're going to follow through otherwise well and i have people
2: i can refer them to (laughs) yes it's not something that we've at least up to this point been willing to take (laughs) Mm -hmm. on because Mm -hmm. we don't have any real expertise right
1: it's the tax function
2: and and so it becomes you know I'm not going to say that we won't do it someday, but at this point, we do not. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things where, like, uh, the, getting the license is one thing, but then making sure you maintain it properly is another thing.
2: Absolutely.
1: Purpose Absolutely. Is one of those thorny ones. <laughs> but, um, and, and it,
2: the other thing is, you know, people really <laughs> understanding that market.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: And I, I'm not going to even, you know, say that I'm an expert on any level but you know people really understanding what surplus lines licensing is and people will come to me and say well do I need x and I refer them to their insurer you know I say you know you need to talk to the insurance companies you're representing you know about what licensing they're demanding you to have absolutely, absolutely. you know especially like with travel insurance do you need a travel insurance license? Will the life and health and P and C license you already have suffice? You know, that depends on the state, and that depends on what different companies are doing. So, you know, I I I don't ever want to take the place of their relationship with their insurance company or companies they're representing. I think it's important that, you know, agents talk to them as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, can you tell us a little bit about? I know you have a long history, you all well, yourself and your firm, um, as being connected to or involved with Sila in some way. Can you tell us a little bit about that involvement and what benefits perhaps you have enjoyed as far as being a member?
2: Well, Barb Donner, who was the former owner and CEO and president of supportive insurance services was actually a founding member of sila when she worked at golden rule insurance company and ran licensing many years ago. So she certainly saw the need and, and, and the benefit of it way back when, mm-hmm. um, and that was in the the nineties. Um, but we sila is always our starting place for research. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if someone calls us and, comes up with a type of license that we've never done, uh, we look to SILA and see what does SILA have to say about this? What kind of research has always already been done? Um, so that's our first step mm-hmm. in making sure that, that we know what we're talking about. Then, depending on what we find there, we may have to do a lot more research you know my managers are involved in some of the sila special groups mm-hmm. uh, and find that those meetings are invaluable so we we look to sila you know for education and resources uh, and that has served us very well. We've been a member of sila since the beginning of of the
0: company mm-hmm. and we continue
2: to find value in sila.
0: Yeah, and I rich,
1: think rich resources
0: for that, sure. That's really important. I mean, you have a team of of experts and, you know, we all work with experts in the field, but still just being able to go in to a place, an association like Silent to share and to get other information that you may not be familiar with or, you know, just want to get, you know, uh, agreement on. Right. Well,
2: and that's if you true. ever really think you know everything, you've got a problem.
1: Yeah, that's true. You know, things that's your first changing. problem
2: is is yes. is being a know at all. there are always things to learn. And uh you should never forget that. So, Absolutely. you know, the whole management team, you know, goes to um the Sila annual meeting. Um, we actually, you know, we we are vendors there as well as participants. Um, because it is such an integral part of of what
0: we do. Right. I mean, if you have all the answers, then you're not asking the right questions, right? So what they
2: Absolutely. say. And, you know, one of the things I think is interesting is we, we're a member of some other organizations too. And I can't tell you how often I refer clients to those organizations because they meet the special need that they have. Mm-hmm. And Sila has certainly met a special need that we have.
0: Wonderful. Jeff, before we let you go, we always ask, you know, all of our guests our final question. Um, I'm going to I'm going to ask it here, which is looking back on your long career. If you had some advice outside of what your father gave you, some <laughs> of your own advice to your younger self, what would that be? Well, I
2: think my advice um and probably this is not just from a business perspective, but from a, a personal perspective as well, is to be open to all the possibilities and to not be one directional. Um, You know, a lot of times you'll you'll see people who are successful and they'll say, I knew from the time I was, you know, three years old that I wanted <laughs> to be
1: ex- an insurance agent. <laughs>
2: And I, I, (laughs) and I knew from that point in my life that that's what I wanted to do and I worked toward that. And if you want to be successful, you have to be that driven. I think there are lots of bright, talented, you know, motivated people who don't know what they want to do with the rest of their lives. They have some sense of it, but they don't know what they want to do with the rest of their lives. And uh, I think the most important thing is to be open to the possibilities because you never know where your life is going to take you. And I find it um It's just something I enjoy learning about other people is when you went to college, what did you go to college to be or to do and then to find out what they're doing today. And in more often than not, you find people doing something very different than what they thought they would be doing when they went to school. Another group of people I loved to hire were teachers. You know, no one works harder than a teacher. No one has to be more, you know, individually focused with students than teachers. They make great, you know, employees in other industries, whether it be because you need them for training or or just their people skills. And I always found, you know, teachers to be a rich resource. And you find a lot of teachers in the insurance industry. Because that's where they started out and then they moved or nurses who started out, you know, in, 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 in nursing and then ended up in the insurance industry. And I guarantee you, they didn't go to school thinking I'm going to be an insurance executive, but it's where they ended up. So I think the most important thing is, you know, you know, life provides you all kinds of opportunities, but being open to the opportunities that maybe seem a little off center or one that you hadn't originally thought of, it's important to at least value evaluate them
0: and perhaps give them a chance.
1: That's great advice. And it's so true. So true. Everything you just said. Okay.
0: Jeff, we'd like to thank you. Um, If people want to contact you, how, how would they do go about that?
2: Our website is supportiveis.com. I'm there with all my contact information. Wonderful.
0: Great, Jeff. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you being a guest. We'd love to have you back soon. Well, thank you for asking me. It was a great time.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Enjoyed thank talking with you.
0: Well, Diana, another great pod. Uh, for all of us, absolutely, right? Great pod. Uh, we'd like to thank Jeff for joining us. I think that's really informative. You He's know, a
1: great guest. He had a lot of interesting insights and such great words of wisdom, too, at the end. I really enjoyed our conversation with him.
0: Oh, it was great. It was great. We can't wait to have him back. Um, but for all of us, if you have questions for us, please reach out. Our email is silaspeaks at org. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at at Silas Speaks. Uh, We'd like to thank you all for listening. And don't forget to follow org on LinkedIn for updates on what's going on at Sila.
1: And don't forget to be on the lookout for the early bird registration for the Silent Educational Conference in sunny Hollywood, Florida, this fall. Until then, we'll see you at the next podcast. The materials in this podcast are intended to provide a general overview of the issues
0: contained herein and are not intended, nor should they be construed to provide specific legal or regulatory guidance or advice. If you have any questions or issues of a specific nature, you should consult with appropriate legal or regulatory counsel to review the specific circumstances involved. The information or opinions communicated in this podcast are not necessarily opinions of SILA and the SILA Foundation.